This time, children ages three through first grade can go to the back to go to Children's Church. If this is your kiddo's first time, please follow them down there so you know where to find them. And if the rest of you will please stand, if you are able, for the reading of God's word. Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 8 to 28. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The word of the Lord. Good. I invite you please to join with me in prayer. Father, you have already reminded us in your word that in Christ you have awoken us um, to an extraordinary reality through him. And yet, Lord, you also know how easy it is um, for us to be forgetful, for us to be drowsy. And that's why you gather us here each week to help us stay awake. And we pray for that now, that as we hear your word together, you would awaken us, that you would strengthen us, um, you would help us to be your family, the people you call us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, during summers when I was in college, I was a bit of a night owl. I worked as a waiter in a diner early in the morning, and then I would take a long nap oftentimes in the afternoon and stay up late in the night, um, and sometimes would be hanging out with friends late at night. And there was one such time where a number of us kind of, you know, had gotten together for a while, and then I drove home in my minivan, and a friend of mine was driving home in his, you know, parents' old Buick. And it was late, and he did not have that same pattern I did of having a nap in the afternoon. So as he was driving home, you know, he was 
feeling it. And he rolled down the window, turned up the radio just to kind of keep himself awake as he was kind of going through the very windy, narrow, dark New England roads. But it wasn't quite enough. At a certain point, his eyes just kind of shut for just a few seconds, and his car hit a car that was parked on the side of the street. He was okay, um, but neither of the cars survived, I suppose you could say. Um, my guess is probably most of us know that kind of feeling, that, that time where we are really pushing to stay awake, but it feels like there's this resistance that's causing our eyes to want to shut. We might have our own technique. Some of us, you know, get a nice cup of coffee, and we're really starting to kind of like wake up to it. Others of us are maybe needing to be active or something like that, but we have our techniques because we know certain times it can be really hard to stay awake. And I bring that up because last week, what we were basically hearing is that Jesus has woken us up. That, th that through Jesus, we have, if we have placed our faith in him, been brought from darkness into the day, from, from death into life, from guilt into forgiveness, from uncertainty and distance from God into hope and knowing that God loves us. And so Paul's instruction, and that's how our passage begins this morning, Paul's instruction is be sober, stay awake, don't fall back asleep, don't, don't, don't forget who you are and what has happened to you through Christ Jesus. You don't need to be afraid anymore. You can be awake to joy. You don't need to just kind of aimlessly follow whatever desire you have in the moment. You can be awake to the reality that you are now holy and you belong to God. You don't need to go back to loneliness because now that you know you belong to God, stay awake to that reality. And yet that is easier said than done. In, in some ways, I feel like um, if you've seen The Wizard of Oz, do you remember that scene where they get to a place where they're seeing the Emerald City, and there's this beautiful field of flowers before them, but as they start walking through the flowers, Dorothy and Cowardly Lion, just the poppies somehow are making them fall asleep. And, and that's what it can feel like, I think, for us, that we, we sometimes see this goal before us, that the city of God awaiting us, and yet it is so hard not to fall asleep. Because there's things that just, not, not, not like our body needs sleep, but there's something that just kind of makes everything feel so drowsy. We are just moving from one thing to the next to the next. We're so busy, there's the non-stopness, and all our minds can think about is how we get the next thing done. And then at the end of the day, whew, let's watch Netflix. And the whole time, that is our whole parameters, and we completely forget that we are eternal creatures where the glory of God infuses the world around us. Or we have, you know, conversations with friends, with family, some believers, some not, but, but somehow God never enters what we're talking about as we talk about all sorts of things. And, and we see stories or we read stories, and somehow these stories present someone's life as coherent and complete without God ever being mentioned. And it starts shaping us so that, so this reality that we have been awake to more and more begins to feel like a dream. We remember when it felt real, but slowly it feels less and less real. So how do we stay awake? 
it's not just a mind over matter thing. If it were, we would be pretty successful at it because when we hear things like we heard last week that we're called to stay awake, okay, I will remember these things and we try and yet it can fail sometimes. And, and so the question is, how, how do we become so awake to the gospel that we don't feel as anxious because we know we have hope? How do we become so awake to the love of God that we feel freed to love others? How can we be transformed by being awake? Paul answers that for us, and that is what we are going to be considering in the next couple of weeks. The final part of chapter 5 is Paul, having just called us to stay awake, giving us some, some instructions of how to do so. And it's interesting because the instructions are not just think really hard, remember really hard. No, when he talks to us about how to live, to move forward as those who stay awake, he talks about our habits and he talks about our relationships. So, in verses 16 to 22, which we'll be looking at more next week, we're going to be looking at this passage two weeks in a row, he talks about habits. We oftentimes think that our beliefs always are what fuel our practices, but the reality is, oftentimes our practices is what make us believe things. And if you act day after day as if God isn't real, he will not feel real. And so Paul says, here are some practices to keep you awake. But this morning, what I want us to consider is this other aspect, relationship that Paul emphasizes. He says, if you want to stay awake, if you want to be children of the day, you collectively need to be the family of God to each other. This is a really important theme for Paul. It's there throughout 1 Thessalonians, and it seems like in some ways he underlines it three times as he concludes the passage. There's a repetition that maybe it's easy to miss that's at the very end of our passage. If you don't have it open, I invite you to open the bulletins because we'll be looking at this passage throughout. But there's three different times he uses the same idea. So he says, brothers and sisters, pray for us. In verse 25, you might notice. And then if we were to skip to verse 27, I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. And the NIV actually doesn't want to feel too repetitive, so it actually changes the same word to God's people. But it is, once again, greet all of God's brothers, greet all of the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. Now that last one especially, that's, that's kind of the most exotic. But notice it's a command. This isn't like, hey, this would be a nice thing to do. Greet one another with a holy kiss, Paul says. The reason was, in that day, that was the form of deep affection. It, it was kind of like the way hugs are for us today. And it was especially common for people to do if they were with family. You, you, you greet family with a kiss. And Paul says that's how you should greet each other. Which would have been extraordinary to have... Jews and Gentiles kiss, to have really wealthy and really impoverished greet each other as equals, to have slaves and former slave owners greet each other with a kiss because now they are brothers and sisters. This isn't the only time Paul says this. He says this to the Roman church as well because he believes it's an important practice to live into that reality you are family. And notice, he doesn't just call it a kiss, he calls it a holy kiss. It's sacred because it is a realization of something that God has done. He has brought us together, Paul is saying. We are now brothers and sisters, and it is real, and you need to live into that. 
This, incidentally, is one of the reasons we do a lot of things we do at Trinity, why we have that greeting time that we just had a little while ago, because we're wanting to live into that reality and learn something that is easy for us not to realize, and that is we're family. It's why we have meals together as a community group. It's why we bowl together, so that we can learn and live into the reality that we are family by the power, the miraculous work of God through Jesus. We're brothers and sisters. And that's important for what we're talking about today because it is as this community, learning to be brothers and sisters, that we can help each other to stay awake. So, again, at the very beginning of our passage, you know, he gives us this commission, since we belong to the day, let us be sober, let us be awake. He reminds us of where we're going, that Jesus died for us to save us so that we might dwell with him. And then, what does he say after? Does he say, therefore, think really hard about this? Now, verse 11, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. It happens so quickly, it's easy for us to miss. That his assumption is that the community is so tight that the right reaction to knowing that we are awake and we're inclined to fall asleep is to make sure we keep on helping each other stay awake. Because we're family. See, Paul understands something that I think we in our more individualistic society forget, and that is how you think and how you believe depends deeply on who you are with. Again, we think we're independent thinkers, but so much of how we see what is real is shaped by each other, even in small things like, like children's bedtimes. I remember this because when we were in Sydney, uh, we had friends who were, come, who were there from Chile, and they had a five-year-old who was really frustrated because at 10.30 p.m., he wasn't allowed to knock on his neighbor's doors and ask if their friends could come out and play. Because that's how you do it in Latin America. You have dinner like at 9.30 and then it's social time until about midnight. Now, of course, we from Australia or America knew better. We know that, of course, kids need to go to bed at 7 p.m. Why, though? I mean, we were confident that was right, but the reason that we believe that, the reason that you probably believe something similar is because everyone else around you believes the same thing. We... we we think of things, the way we see the world is shaped by the people we are with. That affects the way we spend money. What's too much to spend on shoes? That's the way that we think of privacy, like, you know, what are the boundaries we're supposed to be setting? And it is also when we see how people treat prayer or treat how they think and speak of God or how they believe in God or not, that, that affects us, that shapes us. If you want to be awake, you need to be with other people who are awake. That's part of what we are for. We are a community who help keep each other sane, who help each other to see what feels so hard to believe when we are apart from each other. And, and that's, that's what Paul is saying. You need to encourage each other and build each other up because everyone else is going to make you feel like you're nuts but when you're with each other, you will begin to see again what's real and it will help you stay awake. And so what he does after giving this instruction, encourage each other and build each other up, is he gives kind of two further instructions to say, okay, so if you want to be a community that helps each other stay awake, here's how you need to do it. He, he focuses really on, on two things, on, on pursuing what you could say is kind of community health and then also recognizing community responsibility. 
So community health is kind of what begins with verse 12. And it's 12 and 13. He says, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And I want you to notice, that's, that's the kind of like, that's the tagline. That's, that's really the heart of all of these instructions. He is wanting this community who is supposed to be God's family to live in peace. And, and peace in the Bible is never just an absence of outright fighting. Peace is a level of connection, of, of harmony, of unity, of being with each other. And, and if you think about it just for a moment, of course that is necessary if we want to be a community who keeps each other awake. Some of you I know have been in, in church communities that have been dysfunctional in different ways where there is just this divisiveness or there is this lack of trust, and there's suspicion. And when you come in, into a community like that, or even when you leave a community like that, you can feel disillusioned, and the gospel feels false. For, for us to strengthen each other, to, to realize who we are now through Jesus, we need to see around us a sign of the work of Jesus by, by a unity and, and a sense of fellowship and trust. And Paul says, yes, you need to live together to be at peace. And he says, and here's one of the things that you need to do. You need to honor your leadership to be able to get there. So, so that's kind of the, the, the parts that precede that instruction to live at peace. He, he identifies a group of people he says, there are those who work hard among you. So these are people who, spend, who invest a lot of time in trying to make sure that community is doing well, who, who care for you in the Lord. They are taking initiative in pursuing the spiritual well-being of that church family and who admonish you. That is, people who are willing even to do the very unpleasant task at times of just speaking truth and saying, hey, this isn't going okay. In other words, he's talking about a kind of leadership, Right? Now, this is early church. I mean, they've, they've been here, like, again, this congregation's a few months old. You don't have anyone who is, of course, they haven't been seminary trained. They, they haven't really had any kind of training at all. You don't have ordination. These are just people who have felt the desire to care for the congregation and have taken the lead in that way. And Paul says, when you see people like that, you need to esteem them. You need to encourage them. You need to help them recognize who they are. You need to support and encourage this healthy leader. Because without that, you don't have the unity that you need. I mean, just think about it. Have you ever been in a kind of somewhat large group where no one wanted to lead that group? Maybe it's like a work group, or if you're in school, maybe it's kind of like a group project, or, or maybe if you're in a volunteer organization, and everyone kind of does this when it's a question of who's going to be in charge because maybe they don't feel like they're qualified, or maybe they just don't want to put in the time. When you have a group like that, how does it go? Does it feel unified and excited? No, it, it, I mean, sometimes there's no argument because no one wants to voice an opinion, but there's just nothing. For a community to really feel like it is working together, there needs to be a sense of clarity and a sense of direction, and the only way I know that that can happen is through there being healthy leadership. We're in an age where we have emphasize the dangers of abusive leadership, and that is an incredibly important emphasis. Because abuse of power can just do terrible things to a community. But the correction to that is not to say, therefore, there must not be leaders at all. 
The correction is to say, how can we be a community that facilitates and encourages healthy leadership, where we see it to strengthen it and to move it? That's what we want to be as Trinity, not just when we're talking about ordained ministry, but to be a place where people are more and more encouraged with their gifts, to be able to take roles of leadership, because that's what makes health. Now, just speaking personally for a moment, this is always a weird part of the passage to preach on, right, because I'm talking about how you should love your leaders. Um, but, but I do want to say just something about that, that one of the most precious gifts that you as a congregation has given me, and, and not just me, but the elders together, is your trust. I, I cannot tell you how sacred that is to me, how much it means to me that you are willing to go there. And I realize that in the last couple of years, there's been a lot of that, right? Because we've had to make a lot of judgment calls where it's not always clear what the right answer is and where there are opinions on both sides about masks and about indoors and outdoors and all sorts of policies like that. And I've appreciated, you know, that throughout this, there have been many of you who have sometimes given feedback, either in agreement or disagreement, and I really appreciate that. That's healthy. We need to be willing to kind of voice disagreements. But when we've had to make a call, and of course, sometimes we might not have made the right call, you have given us grace. You've, you've shown patience, and you've been willing to move forward with us, and that is a tremendous gift. And another thing I think it does is when we are willing to do that together and accept even that sometimes leaders might get things wrong but still show grace, that has meant that we don't have to be a community that's torn apart by this or that's always focusing on these things, but instead we can still be a family who works together, who is at peace with each other and therefore is doing the important work of continuing to encourage each other and strengthen each other as we seek to be children of the day. That's what Paul is talking about. He's saying we need to seek a kind of community health involving allowing leadership to lead well so that we can be the people that we need to be. The second theme, he says, beyond just community health, he talks about kind of this community responsibility. And, and that's what we see in, in the following verses. So, so on one hand, Paul talks about honoring those who seek to take some responsibility for the community. But he says, but it doesn't stop there. Each of us bear a responsibility for each other. We're all in this together, and we all bear responsibility to see all of us staying awake. And that's, there's a series of instructions in the next couple of verses. Um, and I've been really helped, uh, a counselor by the name of David Paulison has written at length about these two verses. And, and he highlights just how much sensitivity Paul invites us to as we seek to help each other, to recognize that there's not a one-size-fits-all, but there's different situations, and each of them call for a different kind of love as we are bearing responsibility for each other. So, when he says in, in verse 14, we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Some are, so that word idle, disruptive, just literally means disorderly. It can mean idleness, but it can also I mean, other versions of self-willing where you choose, instead of submitting to God, to do what makes sense to you. It can be pursuing adulterous relationships or being divisive or forms of deceitfulness. It's, it's, it's that, that unruliness, stepping outside of God's instructions. And, and as we know from our own personal experience, even after we place our faith in Christ, that doesn't mean we immediately escape all of our bad habits. And it can be an easy thing sometimes to fall back into ways that are not true of children of the day. And, 
And what does Paul say we should do when one of our brothers or sisters is in a situation like that? Do we say, you know what, it's their choice. No, he says, warn them. Of course, you warn with sensitivity. It's the people who are closest who are able to confront. And you warn with humility, not as one who is greater, but one who is a fellow sinner. And you warn with, with gentleness, seeking to build up, not tear down. But you warn with clarity, because that's what's needed. Because the thing that sin does is it, it, it fogs, right? Sin is able to make everything suddenly seem less clear. Where, and, you know, I can think of friends who have talked about how you know, if you understood what my marriage was like right now, you would know why I wanted to leave it, because it's just so painful. Or if you understood what was happening to me, you would know I'm justified in being so angry all the time. Or, hey, this, this, is, this might look like deceitfulness to you, but this is just the way it works in my business. We, we can get so much fog from sin, and so the way to love is with gentle, firm clarity. Brother, wake up. This is sin. But then we also see there is another group of people, um, people who are described as the disheartened. And I like how David Pallison describes this group. He says, these are people who think, feel, and act as if they were all alone in a dangerous world. Uh, they approach life as if they were orphans and are prone to fears, discouragements, anxiety, attempting to prove themselves attempting to control the uncontrollable. They get disheartened at their own shortcomings by the hardships they face. They are prone to give up. Many of us know what that's like because we have been in, in seasons like that. Maybe you are in a season like that right now. And notice how Paul says we should help them. I mean, if you think about it, this group of people are people who are being affected by sin as well. It is a lie that sin is saying that you should give up, that these things are not true. And yet Paul doesn't say, warn, warn the disheartened, snap out of it. No, there's a different kind of care for this group of people. You need to encourage them. The idea of, of seeking to enter into what they're experiencing, come alongside and, and give them strength to move forward. Sometimes that is just being with them, with a ministry of presence. By being there, you are showing them the love of God. Sometimes it is speaking to them and just reminding them in moments where things seem unreal. No, it is true. God really does love you. You really are prized by Him. It's going to be okay. I have found the most powerful thing we can do when we are coming alongside the discouraged and the disheartened is to pray after we've come to hear them and be with them, to help them lift their eyes to God and experience the reality that he is listening to them. Even when they can't pray, we can give words. But whatever it looks like, it's usually slow. It's not like one conversation. It is walking with people out of darkness into light together. He says, we need to encourage the disheartened. And then there's a third group he speaks of, and that's the weak and this is a helpful corrective to us because the weak, I think, are those who are kind of perpetually dependent. It could be those who are disabled, those who have chronic illness, those who are losing some of their abilities because they're getting older, those who have perpetual mental disabilities. Whereas confrontation can be almost like in a moment, you know, either they'll listen or they'll reject. And, and even when you're talking about encouragement, that is something where you're moving them in a season towards a place of, of greater self-sufficiency. There is no fix for weakness. It's just 
being with them and allowing them to continue to depend on the family. He says, help, help the weak. Walk with them while you are in this life together. Help them. Now, the point in these three categories is not for us to kind of like do this little like kind of division. Okay, this one's this one, this one's this one, this one's this one. It's not that neat. He's giving examples, and, and, and we know probably that we have moved throughout life into different phases where sometimes we're one, sometimes the other. Sometimes we're a bunch of them all together. The point in this is Paul saying for us to be a family who takes responsibility for each other, there needs to be sensitivity. There needs to be a time where we understand each situation and seek to care for it specifically. And I think he's also alerting us to, it's going to be costly. I mean, each of these has its own cost, right? When we confront someone, we know we are doing something oftentimes very unpleasant and we're risking losing the relationship. When we are seeking to encourage the faint-hearted, it, we're in for a roller coaster because people will start feeling better and feel, feel worse and better, and it will be sometimes so hard because you're wanting to help them out of it, but they have to, and so there's a slowness about it. And, and when we're walking with the weak, it is something that doesn't stop. And so notice, even as Paul says the goal is to do good to all, how he specifically says here at the very end of these instructions, be patient with everyone. Because that's what it costs us to be family. That's what it costs us if we are going to be a group of people who are taking responsibility for each other and helping each other and saying, we will not move forward without you if we can possibly help it. It's costly, but it is. It's glorious. Some of you I know have not ever had a family of origin that was healthy, but some of us have, and, and we know what it looks like, how we, on one hand, will really have to put up with each other's nonsense at times, and that's just part of the package, and yet they put up with ours, and there's strength in that, and there's resilience in that, and, and that's what God is inviting us to in this picture of being family who take responsibility for each other to help us keep going. That, that sense of responsibility is significant. From what I understand, in, uh, in the armed forces, one of the most sacred commitments is this idea of, of no man or no person left behind. If, if a squad or a platoon go into enemy territory, there is this mutual agreement that they will not leave until they've brought everyone with them. And that's not always tactically the most reasonable thing because if someone is is being caught others will have to risk their lives and potentially would lose them to be able to bring that person out but but those who are a part of these squads and platoons say it's absolutely crucial because the only way they can go into danger is if they know that everyone else has their back and everyone else owns say you are part of this group and i own you as someone that i'm going to care for and and that is what paul is saying the attitude we need to have. That as we face the challenges of this world, we can do it with courage because we know we have each other's back. And we know that we're not going to leave anyone behind. And if someone is getting trapped, we are going to warn or we're going to walk with them or we're going to carry them if that's what it takes because that's what it means to be the family of God. Do you see the gift that we have been given? Paul calls this holy 
because it is God's grace. He has taken a bunch of us who are so unlike each other and brought us together and says, you are brothers and sisters. And this is how we stay awake. We stay awake by pursuing peace and connection, even when that means elevating leadership. We, we pursue peace by at times confronting, even if it's painful, by slowly walking with people, by carrying those in need. We pursue peace and, and stability and responsibility because we are God's family. And we keep each other awake. To state the obvious, when I think of my friend driving home, I can think of one thing that certainly would have helped him avoid that accident. And it's not louder music, it's not the window being rolled down even further. It's just me or someone else being in the passenger seat with him. Because that conversation, that would have kept him alert and would have allowed him to return home safely. And that is the way that God calls you and me to be. To be people who just nudge each other and wake each other up and talk about our reality so that we can be children of the day. Paul tells us, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Invite us to take a moment just in silence and to ask God for help in that. And where we have failed to do that, we can confess our sins. In a couple minutes, I will lead us in prayer together.